All right. If you can all find your seats, we'll get started this morning. Start off by asking for your grace as you deal with your substitute teacher. No shenanigans. Your regular teacher will be back next week, and he'll be glad to set things straight. So, uh, yeah, just be praying for the Barbosas, the... uh, got out of town. When they went to Brazil, they really didn't have a vacation, so they were working, preaching, traveling, ministering to folks, and so they were able to get out of town, and I think they were headed to D.C., where crime is only up 38% over the last couple of years, so be praying for their safety, indeed. All right. All right. Well, let's pray, and we'll get going with our lesson this morning. We're going to be talking about really uh, having a grammar lesson, and I know all of you just checked out, right? But uh, uh, grammar is important, and sentences and words and the structure of sentences, as then they make a paragraph, which is more of a complete thought, and then a chapter or a story in a broader context, which uh, helps tie all these things together. And it is very important for us to, even if we don't like English and the English language and all of its nuances, we do need to pay attention. We need to be good students of God's Word above all else. So I just want to highlight that this week as we go through chapter 3 of our book. So let's open in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for your Word that you do provide for us a... A manual, really, for life that you have provided through your Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers in conjunction with the intake of your word and time in prayer and just abiding in Christ. Father, you have given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So I pray, Father, that even as we study this morning and are reminded of the importance of being good students of your word, Father, I pray that you would help us to remember that the details matter, and as we observe more and more and read your word over and over again, uh, these details come out and connect and help us and guide us in your truth, even as your spirit works in our hearts, and just pray that you would help us to be good observers and to uh, understand that your scripture has meaning and an impact for each of us, uh, application and how we ought to live each day. So we ask your blessing upon our time this morning, that you would be honored. We pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, quick quiz. Get out a piece of paper, write down your answers. Ready? Question number one. When making observations of the text, persons should spend a majority of their time looking for deep insights, true or false? When making observations of the text, persons should spend a majority of their time looking for deep insights. These are all going to be true or false. So, second question. When making observations of the text, it is best to refrain from interpreting or applying the text. 
Third question. This is where we're getting into the weeds with grammar. Passive verbs often point out the things that God has done for us. Passive verbs often point out the things that God has done for us. True or false? Another grammatical term, conjunction. The conjunction, therefore typically introduces a conclusion based on earlier arguments, true or false. The conjunction, therefore, typically introduces a conclusion based on earlier arguments. And lastly, this is a short quiz, pretty easy, true, false, five questions. Miss one and you get 80%, sorry. (laughs) Number five, figures of speech communicate to the reader by appealing to reason. Figures of speech communicate to the reader by appealing to reason. True or false? All right. Hold those answers. Remind me to come back to it for all your pain and agony. We'll come back to that uh, quiz and go over some of those points as we work through our lesson this morning. And uh, drive home the tools, really, that you should be pulling out of your toolbox when you are observing and reading God's Word and studying God's Word and working through it. Uh, Just something to give us an idea of what we're talking about this morning. Consider when you go to a restaurant and you look at the kids' menu versus the adult menu, the regular menu, the, the main menu. You know, the kids' menu is kind of a subsection and what do you get in it? What's usually listed? Nuggets. What else? Small portions, nuggets, mac and cheese. What else? Grilled cheese, huh? Corn dogs. Always corn dogs. Hot dogs, corn dogs. Then you step over for a second to the main menu where your meat and potatoes, your salads, your seafoods, your variety comes in. It's not bologna in a tube, a hot dog. It's not uh, mechanically separated chicken product nuggets, right? It's good stuff. Now, what would you prefer? The filet mignon? The New York strip steak? Yes, I would. (laughs) Uh, And the, the wonderful salad with multiple vegetables in it, a variety of flavors, or would you prefer, as an adult, and the kids refrain, the hot dogs, mac and cheese on the menu? So when you come to God's Word, consider that same idea. You can read through God's Word and say, okay, I'm done. I read it. I got an idea of what's there. The narrative continued on. We're reading through the Old Testament, maybe. Okay, I got an idea of the story. Good enough. Move on. Or... You could stop and use some of these uh, tools that we're going to talk about this morning and really dig into and take note of the content of what you're reading. If filet mignon's on the menu, do not settle for the hot dogs. Uh, In God's Word, there are great truths for us to learn, to know, and to understand. Uh, Do uh, even just keep in mind... uh, 
what Paul said, I think it was to the Corinthians, right? You have need of milk. You should be consuming the meat and potatoes at this point, but you're bogged down in the elemental things, and those are good, but you need to get the broader, bigger picture of what's going on in God's Word, uh, more than just a skimming of the content. So I want to uh, have Jake pull up a video. Uh, this is uh, on YouTube. You can re-watch it later on. Just jot down in your notes, Sinclair Ferguson. And he has a couple of videos that are mentioned in the curriculum that you could read. One of them is an hour long and would encourage you to listen to it. It's called How to Read the Bible. And he goes through multiple points on how to read the Bible. But this short five-minute video just gives us a highlight of, as you're digging into these details of God's Word, as we're talking about this morning, these sentences and the tools we'll be looking at, how you read the Bible. Rethink it. Not just what its profound meaning is to you or the application to you, but study it enough to know what is the flow of the book of Romans. What's the first three chapters, the next three chapters, the next three chapters? Can you, can you give a general outline in your mind that ties everything together for a book? Colossians, Philippians, even the shorter ones. So it might sound like I'm trying to tell you two different things. Well, you've got to understand the details, but then you want to understand the big picture. But in order for you to understand the big picture and to tie everything together, you need to understand the details. Okay, so listen to this video, and uh, we'll continue on. Happened. I think I think we were 23 at the time, and I was a very young minister, and this was a fellow who came around our church that I got to know quite well, probably about the same age, and he he uh, is very enthusiastic Christian. He told me um, he was having wonderful quiet times, which was a British way of talking about his personal Bible reading and prayer. And I had, I think I had begun to notice something um, in the way people read the Bible. And so I said to him, um, I said, uh, tell me if um, he, was, he was reading Ephesians, it was particularly Ephesians. And I said, well, tell me, if I had given you a, a notebook at the beginning of the month when you started reading Ephesians and you had, you had written down what you were learning. He was very excited about what he was learning. Uh, and I think he may have been journaling. He said, now, if at the end of the month you were willing, if at the end of the month you were willing to let me see that, would I find either A, a very interesting account about your own spiritual experiences or B, would I find at least an outline of what Paul said in Ephesians and how that applied to you? And he said to me, oh, he said immediately, undoubtedly it would be the first. And I had begun to think that there were actually Christians who had read the Scriptures for years, but if you asked them, could, could you just tell me what's in Ephesians or uh, what's Romans about? All they would be able to tell you would be a verse that had stuck out to them here and there. They, they would know that all things work together for good for those who love God. 
they might remember that they were to put on the whole armor of God. But what they would not be able to do would be to tell you what Paul actually said to the Ephesians. And, and so I tried to explain to him that if that was the way he was studying the Bible, actually there was a lot of time he was wasting. Um, and he wasn't embedding into his life, into his psyche, into, even into his memory banks, what the message of Scripture actually was, because it doesn't come to us in isolated texts, although individual texts may mean a great deal to us. But that there was a message in Ephesians that it had a structure um, that shaped the Christian life. Um, and uh, I said, why don't you try that for a month? And so we, we met again at the end of the next month. He said, this is absolutely revolutionized. I think he said, this has revolutionized my Christian life. And I was wise enough to know that, you know, that probably had not happened in a month. But it had really revolutionized his appreciation of what the Bible is and how the Bible works and how, how to read the Bible in such a way that it's a long-term investment in your life because you're really building a Bible into your soul in that way and not just isolated texts. Um, so, you know, even at that level, learning to read the this is not a sophisticated thing. This, in a way, it just takes the flick of a switch to be able to see this. Uh, you know, we're not saying here you need to go to seminary in order to be able to learn to read the Bible properly. Uh, we're just saying, you first of all, you listen to what it's saying, and then you apply that to your life. You don't look at it in order to begin to reflect on your own life without reference to what the Bible is actually saying. And that, I've found for some people, that is a real movement forward to a steady growth and maturity. All right, did you catch that? It's not just what it profoundly means to you or the conviction you've got today. It's what is in the Bible. We need to be good students to know what is there. Uh, your walk, as you are progressively sanctified throughout your life as a believer, uh, a specific passage or paragraph or uh, verses within a chapter may have different profound impact on you or conviction at that time as you're progressively growing and being sanctified through your Christian walk. But do you know along the way what is in that chapter, that book? Uh, what is uh, God's Word? What does it mean? What does it say? Not necessarily um, about your spiritual walk or, or uh, pragmatic, oh, this made me feel good or convicted me today, but what does it say? So that in those varied circumstances of life, uh, the Lord can bring it back to mind. All right, back to our quiz real quick here. When making observations of the text, persons should spend a majority of their time looking for deep insights? False. You're right. Uh, you really need to observe the text, and that's what we're getting at in these, uh, in what Ronaldo was relaying to us last week in the journey, and as we dive into the sentences, the paragraphs, and the broader structure here in the coming weeks, really need to make uh, observations of the details. Second, when making observations of the text, it's best to refrain from interpreting or applying the text. True. 
Making observations. You're making observations. Again, I'm going to remind you this morning, you are not yet interpreting, you are making observations. We're just observing what's here. Uh, Before you can understand it and make connections, you have to understand what is there in front of you. Third, passive verbs often point out the things God has done for us. True or false? Less certain. Must be the structure of the question. Passive verbs often point out the things God has done for us. That is true, which is why we're going to spend a little extra time on verbs this morning. Uh, Conjunctions, therefore, typically introduces a conclusion based on earlier arguments. True. Yes, it's here's all these thoughts, therefore do this. Based on all this, therefore do this. And lastly, figures of speech communicate to the reader by appealing to reason. True or false? Figures of speech appeal to your reason? False. Uh, Figures of speech are everywhere. I just used one. We use them all the time. There's another one. But it draws home a point. Okay? It's not appealing to your reason. It's appealing to your imagination, really. Uh, When you read these uh, figures of speech in Scripture, like, my God is my rock. He sits there. He's cold. He's hard. He doesn't care. He just, no. It's a fortress. Fortresses are built of rocks, stones, He is my rock. He's my fortress. Uh, He is a great defense. All right. This chapter. So the interpretive journey that Ronaldo's been highlighting in that map, you know, what's in their town, uh, what does it, you know, mean to them, understanding the river, the bridge, what's the principle that applied there and here, Then you get to the uh, fourth step, and you're looking at the map and going, okay, in the context of all of Scripture, here I am in this time and place. What's the principle? How do I apply that? Which road do I take, you know, through the town that we're in today? Uh, You have to be able to, in order to do that, you have to have a serious reading of the biblical text. And it requires us to scrutinize the text and make as many observations as possible. And this serious reading begins at the sentence level. What are in the sentences? And the Apostle Paul, of course, has run on sentences that make a whole paragraph, right? Uh, But what's in that sentence? Uh, At the sentence level, one of the first observations that should be noted is the repetition of words. If you notice a word that's repeated, then count how many times that word is used and pay attention to how that word is used in each instance. So repeated words may be used differently, but they are repeated, nonetheless, for effect. Next, a serious reading of the text must make note of contrasts. That's our second item. So repetition and contrast, which highlight the differences between items, ideas, or individuals. Items, ideas, and individuals contrasted one or the other. Third, repetition, contrasts, and comparison. I need to observe comparisons. While contrasts are looking at the differences, comparisons are built upon the similarities between those same three 
things, the items, the ideas, and the individuals. So repetition, contrasts, comparison, and lists. It's defined as two or more items, itemized things. And once it's identified, it's necessary to explore the significance of the list, especially the order or maybe the groupings within that list. Repetition, contrast, comparison, lists, cause and effect, fourth item, fifth item for those of you taking notes. Cause and effect. Um, what, is the, what is the cause as you're reading, and what does the effect have? Um, and we'll look at that here in Colossians 3 in a little bit. What's the cause and effect? What does one thing lead to another? Figures of speech. Mentioned figures of speech already. Uh, but we need to uh, see how they're used and how it helps highlight some of the previous things we've looked at, the comparisons or the contrast. The Proverbs are famous for this. Con- contrasting light and dark, wicked and righteous. And figures of speech uh, used to liken a fool to something undesirable. Repetition, contrast, comparison, lists, cause and effect, figures of speech, conjunctions. Schoolhouse Rock, for those of you at least 40 years old or older, all right, Google, or the blessed children who have parents that corrupt their kids with Schoolhouse Rock videos, Uh, Conjunction Junction, remember the trains, all right, it's stuck in your mind, isn't it, all right, conjunctions, they're used to connect, what is your function? To connect things, we'll talk about that in a minute, that's your seventh item. Uh, and but and therefore are usually what we find in Scripture. But, therefore, or so. And is obviously another conjunction that you'll find. But uh, these are important because, again, they tie things together. They're tying this phrase with this phrase or this word with that word, tying them together to make a more complete thought. Verbs. Verbs communicate the action of a sentence. Especially important to note the tense and the voice. So what's the tense of a verb? And past, present, future. So the tense. Present tense, past tense, future tense. Uh, use, using an action word, it either did happen, it is happening, or it's going to happen. Um, what about the voice? When we talk about the voice of a verb, we're talking about active versus passive. Is something being done to something else? Or is, well, active would be Eric hit the ball. Passive, the ball hit Eric. Eric got hit by the ball would be a better way to say that. Passive versus active. Final observation is pronouns. And, of course, in order to understand a pronoun, not in the sense of the world's pronouns today, but you have to understand the antecedent meaning what is the pronoun referring to or who is the pronoun referring to, uh, who or what, uh, that place. Uh, is, what is that pronoun uh, referring back to? So again, to read and be a good student of God's Word, you've got to read it over and over and over again. Look for repetition, contrast, comparisons, lists, cause and effect, figures of speech, conjunctions, verbs, and pronouns. 
and uh, want to watch the lesson video that they provided in the material uh, at this point to drive these points home and help us think about how we should be approaching God's Word. Go for it. My experience is that most Christians really want to read the Bible well. They want to go deeper into it. They really want to see some deeper things, and they want to see what God has to say for them there. But the problem is they just, they just don't know how, and there's a certain frustration. When you go back into the Bible and you read it, you get bored with it, or you see the same thing that you saw last time. Uh, our goal in this chapter and the next few chapters is to try to give you some guidelines uh, and some help, some pointers to get you started, to allow you to read more, more carefully and deeper, to go into the text, to really pull things out of the text. Uh, this makes it more exciting for you, makes it more interesting, and allows you to hear more, I think, what God is saying. And on the other hand, it also helps you to read more accurately, the more closely that you're reading the text. A good analogy for good Bible reading is receiving a love letter. Uh, imagine a young man uh, named John, and he's in the early stages of a dating relationship, and his, his girlfriend has moved away, and now he quickly is waiting for that first uh, email from her. And, and when he gets it, he opens it up and begins to read eagerly to see what, you know, what does she have to say? Uh, what does she have to say to him? Hi, John, she starts off, and he immediately is wondering, you know, why does she just say, hi, John? Why not, dear John? Or why? He begins to ask these questions and read through each line after line, uh, pondering, wondering the meaning of each word. What, what, what does she mean with each text? Uh, and this is similar to the way we want you to read the Bible. We want you to read carefully, closely, asking each word, pondering each shade uh, of meaning. And again, this, in this chapter and in the chapters that follow, uh, we'll be giving you some guidance on how to read in, the, in that manner. Uh, we're at the observation stage now. What we mean by that is what we're trying to do in these next few chapters is help you to see. We want to see the text. We want to see the details of the text, try to identify uh, those texts, how to read very carefully. Uh, we're not interpreting yet. Uh, the, the danger is to immediately read the text and then go straight to application, straight to interpretation. We want you to hold off. Hold. That will come. We're going to get to that. But in these early chapters, uh, we just want to see, teach you how to see things, identify this observation stage. Uh, and that's not to say that the text as a whole is not important. There is this ongoing parts and whole interchange. And we, and we recognize this. A lot of times when you first come to a text, you might read the whole text through, kind of look at the whole, what's the big picture. But then immediately you want to go back, start working slowly, phrase by phrase, word by word, sentence by sentence, back through the text and look at those details. So we recognize this parts whole interchange. But here in the next few chapters, we're going to try to help you how to go through slowly, how to go back into the parts, you know, phrase by phrase. What are we looking for? What gets this going? So in this chapter, chapter three, we're going to look at sentences, the smaller unit, things to look for at the sentence level. And then in the next chapter, we'll do paragraphs and a little bigger units. What are the things uh, in the biblical text to look for in a, in a paragraph size 
uh, passage. Uh, and then in chapter 5, we'll look at uh, uh, what we call discourses, the, the chapter size, the story size unit. Uh, and these things are also kind of a little simpler uh, in, the, in the sentence level, chapter 3. And as you get to bigger units of text, what you're looking for, the things that you're looking for get a little more complex. So we're going to start with some simpler types of things to look for here in chapter 3. Uh, and as we move to larger pieces of text, then we're going to get a little more complex in the kinds of things that we're looking for. So let's get started. Things to look for in sentences. What are we, how, what are we looking for? Uh, one of the first things you want to look for, and one of the easiest, is just word repetition. Look for things that are repeated over and over in the text. Anytime you see a word within a sentence or a couple of sentences that repeats, you need to mark it, circle it. Uh, for example, take a look at 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. Uh, but just as he who called you was holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I am holy. Well, when you read that passage, you ought to see holy, holy, holy four times. You ought to circle that alarms ought to be going off in your head. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to answer, what is this passage about? Well, it's got something to do with holiness. Uh, so word repetition, mark those when you see them. Uh, that's one of the easier things uh, to do. So step one, look for word repetition. Uh, number two, look for contrast. Uh, anytime the biblical text is taking two things that are very different, Placing them side by side in contrast, you want to ask, identify it, note, write down, this is a contrast, and then think through the contrast. Uh, Proverbs has lots of contrast. Uh, look, for example, uh, Proverbs 15.1, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So what, what's he contrasting here? There's the contrast between a gentle answer and what it does, and a harsh word and what it does. So this is a contrast, and you want to look for these things, mark these things when you see them. Another good example, Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Uh, and a, the, a, a basic contrast you see often in the Bibles between light and darkness. And so anytime you see light and darkness, you want to circle them and say, here's a contrast. But notice this text is not just a contrast of darkness and light. It's a contrast of what you were to what you are now, that you were darkness and now you're light in the Lord. So you have a little more complicated contrast. Uh, so number one, look for repetition. Number two, look for things that are contrasted. And number three, of course, similar uh, to contrast, look for for comparisons. When do you see a comparison uh, between two things? You want to mark this down. Uh, Proverbs 25, 26, a good illustration of this. Like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. Well, what's he comparing here? He's comparing a righteous person who caves in to the wicked. He's being compared with a, with a, with a nice water spring bubbling up that should be a pure, clean water source that somebody has uh, polluted. He's spilled dirt in or he's gotten mud into it and he's basically ruined, ruined the spring. Uh, so it's a comparison. So look for contrast and look for the opposite side, the comparisons. Number four, list. You want to look at list. Anytime you're reading in your text and you see more than two items in a row and it becomes three or four items uh, in a list, you want to mark that down. This is a list and you want to analyze the list couple of good examples, Galatians 5, 22, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So here's a long list. So you want to clearly see the, the biblical authors giving you this list. And then you want to think through the list. Look at it. Uh, is, there an, is there an order to it? Uh, is there a grouping? How many elements are in the list? I mean, count them. There's nine in this list here. Uh, and uh, do they group together? This particular list kind of falls together in groups of three. Uh, love, joy, and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, lists show up, all kinds of different lists in the Bible. They'll give you a list of uh, people, uh, places. Sometimes the Old Testament will give you a list of cities. And you want to stop and say, well, where, where are these cities? Is it a geographical list? Are they moving from north to south? What's the point of the list? Are they going in a circle? Sometimes they go, well, uh, list uh, uh, nations in a circle as they go around Israel and list out their neighbors. Uh, but you'll see other uh, attitudes and attributes, things. The famous passage in 1 John, uh, love not the world. And they list out the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Uh, well, there's three-part list. Mark that as a list and uh, identify those lists when you come across them. So number four was list. Number five is cause and effect. Uh, this is very common in the biblical text where the authors will give you a cause and effect relationship. Uh, and again, back to Proverbs 15.1. Uh, here you have uh, two cause and effects that comprise the verse. The first one, a gentle answer. That's the cause. What's the effect? It turns away wrath. Uh, on the other one, that's contrary. You have a harsh word. That's the cause. And then what does it do? It stirs up anger. So when you're studying, you recognize them as cause and effects. I find it helpful to mark that. I put a C where the cause is. I put an E over where the effect is. And I connect those uh, with a line showing where this cause and effect is uh, in, in the text. Another good example in the New Testament here, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Here's a very clear cause of sin. And what's the effect here? The effect is death. Uh, and so mark those cause and effect uh, as you study, study the text. Number six is figures of speech. Uh, figures of speech are very important and, and powerful uh, uh, literary uh, devices that are used throughout, throughout the scripture. What a figure of speech is, is simply a, uh, uh, it's, it's a word being used in a sense other than its most literal, the most normal literal sense. Uh, and we use figures of speech all the time, and all the time is a figure of speech. Uh, it's an exaggeration, and that's, that's one of the many figures of speeches that are used. Uh, take an example, Psalm 119, 105, where the psalmist says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. So he's taking the word of God, and in a figurative sense, he's describing it as if it was a lamp. Uh, and of course, in the Old Testament time, you know, you don't have electric lights or street lights. So to go out at night in the pitch dark, uh, you would stumble around trying to find your way. And what the psalmist is saying is, is if you have a lamp, if you carry a lamp with you in the dark, then suddenly you can see where you're going and you can see where you're stepping, uh, allows you to walk without stumbling. And so he's saying, well, God's word is like that. It shows us how to go, how to walk. Uh, and so figures of speech then are very colorful uh, pictures uh, of, uh, of, of what the, the biblical author is trying to say. Or how about this one, one of my favorites in Isaiah 40. Uh, those who hope in, in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. So his image here of trusting in God is that you're just like one of these you know, like an eagle that can just catch the hot air and, and, uh, and soar effortlessly. Uh, uh, when I was uh, growing up as a kid in New Mexico, we had lived right at the base of a big mountain range, and the big hawks there would uh, soar in 
right at the face of the mountain, catch the hot air drafts, and they would rise up a thousand feet or so, and then they would coast back over, and then they could just circle around looking for uh, uh, for, for for prey uh, without flapping their wings at all. And then as they would descend down, they would drift back in, catch the hot air, and rise back up again. And so this is a very powerful uh, figurative image that the psalm I mean, that Isaiah uses to show what it's like to trust in God. You're just like one of these effortless eagles that soars. Uh, and so... Uh, the figures of speech remind us that the Bible connects uh, at not only an intellectual level, but at an emotional level. And I think sometimes we miss that. But that's the point of figurative language is it pulls us in emotionally. It paints a picture that connects with not just our head, but, uh, but with our heart. Uh, so when you see figures of speech, you note them, mark them. Say, here's a figure of speech. And then go one step beyond that. Try to visualize it. What's the image? What are they trying to portray with these figures of speech? Let the, let the author pull you into it uh, with the imagery that he gives you in the figure of speech. Number seven, conjunctions. Of course, there's a, 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 a grammatical issue. Uh, when you come in uh, for conjunctions, you want to ask um, conjunctions, you know, words like and or for, therefore, since, and but. Uh, when you see those conjunctions, mark them and then ask again, what, what are they there for? Uh, a good example, again, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but... And that's that conjunction, but is huge there. And note the wonderful contrast between death and but, the free gift is eternal life. Uh, so as you come across these conjunctions, you want to, you want to mark them. Sometimes they're quite easy to note uh, as the conjunction here. But in, in Colossians, a little more complicated. Therefore leads the beginning of the verse. Therefore is God's chosen people holy and uh, dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The therefore here, of course, introduces the verse, but therefore is based on something previous to this. So in the biblical text, you want to look up, circle this therefore, then you want to see what are they referring back to. Sometimes it's the verse right in front. It might be several chapters that precede this. He may have built an argument over several chapters and then said, therefore. Uh, here in Colossians 3, of course, uh, a few verses earlier, he has just uh, uh, told them to put on the new self, that now they're in Christ, you have a new self, put on your new self. And so then here is this verse, therefore, because of the new self, then clothe yourselves uh, with compassion, kindness, humility. So note all of the conjunctions, circle them, mark them, and then ask, what are they doing? If you have a therefore, look back up and see why, uh, what is the therefore referring back to. So that was number seven, conjunctions, okay? Number eight, uh, verb tenses. And what I would encourage you to do with verb tenses is just whatever your how much grammatical skill do you have? How much training do you have? Uh, just run with that. Go as far as you can go with analyzing the verbs. I mean, verbs are where all the action uh, is. It's the, it's the mortar for the bricks, you know, that build, uh, that build a biblical text. And by verbs, I mean, uh, uh, what kind of verb is it? Uh, look at each verb and ask, uh, is this a present tense? Is it future tense? Is it past tense? Uh, ask things like, is it imperative? Are they just telling us? Is it an indicative ex explaining kind of verb? Or is it an imperative kind of verb? Uh, or another important distinction to notice in biblical text is, is it an active verb or is it a passive verb? Uh, by active, you know, Bill hit the ball. Passive, the ball was hit by Bill. Uh, and so look and see, is there an active or is there a passive kind of tense? Uh, a good example, Colossians 3, 1. Uh, since then, 
says, you have been raised with Christ. And now notice this is a passive idea. So it's important for us to see this. Theologically, that's important. So not something that we did. We didn't raise ourselves up. We've been raised up with Christ. So it's a passive sense. So mark that verb and say, this is, this is passive. And then immediately after the passive verb, you have been raised, is an imperative. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. And so note that passive verb and then note the imperative sense. So verbs are important to mark as you go through. Circle them. And again, as far as your you know, grammar training is, go as far as you can with that analysis of the verbs that we see. Number nine is pronouns. Anytime you're in a text, you want to identify what the pronouns are. And don't just read over them and don't make quick assumptions. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 is a good example. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. So you want to note both the our Lord Jesus Christ and the us in the heavenly realms, and then ask, who is that referred to? Uh, Paul is the author here, but when he uses our, who, who does he mean? Does he mean Paul and his co-authors like Timothy? Does he mean Paul and the Ephesians? Does it include Paul and all Christians of all time? Uh, and so anytime you have pronouns uh, in any of the text, you want you know, to mark the pronoun, circle it, and then identify it. You know, who, does the pronoun, who does the pronoun refer to? So we've given you nine things here to look for, and they're not, uh, this is not an all-inclusive type of list. They're not the only things you look for. But we want you to read carefully, to look carefully, to see things, to ask questions. And it's important to start writing it down. We really think that the in-depth Bible study analysis, uh, you've, got to, you've got to mark these things down. Howard Hendricks says the pen's like a metal crowbar. Gets your head going. It gets your, it gets your mind thinking. So uh, get you a text. Uh, here's an example here from Romans 12. Uh, get your text and write, you know, C for cause and E for effect and circle the words that are repeated. Uh, circle the, the, the pronouns, identify them, and then other observations. Just look and look and keep looking uh, for these things. If there's a figure of speech, I'll just write FOS on it, figure of speech, but then ask, what is the figure of speech? And try to identify that figure of speech. Um, and then like, uh, like the lovesick uh, boy who's reading his love letter at the beginning, uh, go back over, read the text. Don't assume you get it all the first time. Read it again. Look at it again. Read it again. See what observations you get. Mark them down. Read it again. Uh, and this r- repetitive going back over the text, marking as you go and reading as you go <clears throat> yields the results that allows you to get in the text, to have this time of observation uh, and to see the text in a new way and see the things in that text that God has planned for you. what are we doing this morning repeating ourselves over and over again hoping hoping to drive all these points home for us Uh, these are powerful things that help us to learn to help them be settled in our minds Um, one thing i want to just highlight for you is the power of observation Uh, now obviously in the realm of self-defense there's the idea of uh, of situational awareness and one example comes to mind of Jason Bourne sitting in the cafe with the gal he's got these passports out of his deposit box puts them on who am I he doesn't know who he is but he has observed that the waitress is left-handed the guy up at the bar in the cafe there at the restaurant is uh, knows how to handle himself there's six cars he knows all the license plates of everyone in the parking lot and he knows 
probably which one he should go to to look for a firearm. And of course, you know Jason Bourne. I don't not endorsing the whole movies, but just so you know, an idea of context and the power of observation. Uh, when you are aware of your surroundings, when you're thinking, when you're engaged with God's word, not just bumbling along through life and yep, I'm sure I'll pick up something. Yeah, you're going to trip over a rock and land on your face. Uh, pay attention. Uh, look at the details. Be observant. Uh, don't just be very passive with the reading of God's Word. Engage with it. Use your mind. Think uh, and apply yourself as you walk about each day in life, let alone as you read God's Word. All right. He mentioned the, the conjunctions and the verbs, and I think we've touched on that uh, couple of times. Again, just a reminder of the, the items, the repetition, the contrasts, the comparison, the lists, figures of speech, cause and effect. Uh, figures of speech uh, come in many times in the Old Testament, even working with the young people going through the book of Revelation, where the sound of the voices was like a waterfall or like many waters. Now, there wasn't a waterfall or waves crashing on the seashore, but that's the kind of cacophony of noise John was experiencing. Or when Christ was speaking to him, it was like the blast of a trumpet behind me, and I turned to look and I saw Christ. Well, Christ wasn't, you know, his mouth didn't turn into a trumpet and was blasting away to get your attention, but it was very poignant and projection, projecting and clear uh, as Christ came to speak. To John, uh, figures of speech, uh, conjunctions, those things that connect uh, different items. Uh, we went through a couple of uh, examples there. Um, but even looking at chapter 12 of Hebrews, uh, if you aren't familiar with chapter 11 and chapter 12, uh, since we are, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore, what is he talking about? Chapter 11, the faith chapter, right? Since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us in faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We may not be Joseph or Moses or any of these others called out in chapter 11, but you have a course to run yourself. Therefore, again, these conjunctions are important. I want to spend a couple of minutes uh, more on verbs where all the action is. Um, and he mentions Colossians 3.1. Why don't you turn there and look at it again? I just want to drive home the point. Just some observations that we can make. How does the verse start? With a conjunction. Therefore, chapters 1, chapters 2, the first two pages really of the letter that Paul wrote in light of chapters 1 and chapters 2, therefore, if or since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And again, these verses that are these verbs, sorry, this passive verb, and he highlighted this, but it's important. You have been raised up with Christ. Christ has acted upon you. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God through Christ, acted upon you to uh, raise you up, to make you alive. Therefore, you need to do something. God has done something to you, 
And now you need to do something. Keep seeking the things above. Uh, it's interesting, the translation, I think he had set your minds on the things above, I think. Uh, not for sure. Maybe he had keep seeking the things above. This is a present tense verb. Following the past tense verb. Keep seeking the things above. And this is an imperative, as he mentioned. There's a command there. We need to keep on doing this. Keep thinking about and seeking the things that are above, not necessarily the things that are on earth. Why? You have died. Again, chapter uh, 3, verse 3. Uh, set your minds on the things above that are... Oh, I skipped from 1 to 2, didn't I? Uh, not on the things that are earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Uh, verse 3, again, another uh, conjunction. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Tying these things together um, uh, for us and helping us settle them in our minds. I uh, mentioned pronouns, uh, but uh, that's also self-explanatory. Lastly, uh, before we close, did you see his spread out, written out of one or two verses and is like quadruple spaced in between each line? Now, that's where you start at the smaller level, at the, the micro level. You're looking at God's word. What can I observe in each of these sentences? And if you look at Colossians 3 and you just go through these 25 verses, you could have quite a few sheets, maybe even 25 pages of different observations as you give yourself enough room to jot down notes and see how it all connects. And then eventually, just so you have an idea of where we're going, uh, and one uh, gentleman at our church back in Nebraska mentioned how he would just type out the whole book or the whole chapter without verse designations, without chapter designations, just type out the whole book of First John, for example, and just read it through all together as a whole. But as you're reading it, and if you've been a student and gone through each of these verses and phrases, sentences, and paragraphs, and undug, uh, undug, opened up, and pulled up these uh, details that you've observed through your study. When you read the whole thing in one fell swoop without being distracted by verse numbers or chapter numbers, it all is connecting and coming together. I challenge you to do this exercise at some point in your study. Uh, it's something you have to do when you're preaching God's Word, when you are sharing in uh, a small group time, when your guys are studying Colossians. Go through what are the details and how does it all connect and, and building blocks for the bigger picture. All right. One thing uh, just to think about. And I want to hear from you. What has worked for you in how you have made serious Bible reading part of your day? How do you do this on a daily or a weekly basis? What's worked for you? Not just reading it. Sometimes that's the battle, right? Just opening it and reading it. But how have you incorporated being a serious student of God's Word in your daily or weekly habits? What's worked for you? Mm-hmm. 
Good. Understanding what's in the text, then the context, and then maybe go to cross-references for even a bigger context. And then, okay, people smarter than us who've already studied this in depth and put it together, what, what are their observations? And you should be making observations as you're looking at the text and the context and the broader context of the whole scripture as you go. What else? Yeah. Yeah. What does this word mean? To, to define words, a thesaurus or a dictionary or both. Yeah. Our vocabularies are limited. I don't know what the studies are, but uh, we are not nearly as eloquent as we were 100 years ago. Uh, our vocabulary is very limited. So when you come to God's word, propitiation, I didn't use that yesterday in my report at work. Uh, what does that mean? And study it and to know it, to get an idea. What else? What do you do to be a serious student? Different translations, different translations sometimes help us make different observations. They maybe use different words. Uh, or they order them differently. Again, uh, Ronaldo's talking, talked previously about like the NASB is kind of like the Yoda of translations. It, it goes through the Greek order. as It tries to hold to the order of the Greek language as much as possible. And sometimes it, it doesn't make sense to us in our speech and in our understanding. But maybe you go to the ESV or the NIV. Some other versions are a bit easier to read. The flow is a little different, and it helps us think through the process. So uh, different translations can be helpful, just not the Message Bible. Uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes paraphrases are good. I know when I was growing up, uh, we had this green, hardbound, it was the Living Bible translation uh, that we would use uh, at the dinner table just Again, it just gave a good sense for us kids who you know, weren't saved, let alone very bright, uh, to understand what's going on. And it helped uh, to get through some of those texts. What else helps you to be a serious student of God's Word? Yes? Yeah, Clint mentions memory. Memorization of God's Word. It does help you to be a student because we can't sit around God's Word all day. We have different duties and responsibilities inside and outside the home that we need to attend to, but we can take it with us. And have, have we disciplined our minds to be able to mull these things over? And even as Jake started out, you read it over and over and over again. Well, if you've memorized it, you've had to read it. You probably spoke it out loud so your ears could hear it. You read it so your eyes could, you know, comprehend it. Maybe you wrote it down so that your hands could go with your eyeballs, and maybe you spoke it out as you were writing it down. Whatever tools you need to use to help you remember God's Word uh, and say it over and over and over again, and when you go about your day, then you can be thinking, oh, wait, wait a minute, there's, there's something there. There's a contrast or a similarity or whatever it might be that I didn't see before. And uh, if you're mulling things over in your mind, if you have it memorized, uh, you can do that. What else? 
So Dylan just says, assume you don't know when you come to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and following 1 through 4 that you don't know it, even though you may have memorized it. Come to it knowing there's something more to learn. Come to Scripture humbly. Have conversation with others, Dylan said, because they've maybe made some observations that you've overlooked. Maybe, likely. <laughs> uh, there's a blessing in the fellowship of the saints. And that's what we are doing when we come together as the body of Christ to sharpen one another in God's word. Great tools. J.D. Think yourself full, read yourself empty. Write out yourself clear. Pray yourself keen. Yeah. 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 And again, in order to do those four things, you have to be mulling them over in our minds. Uh, one thing that somebody had mentioned was just that our minds, was it, I think, in uh, maybe in Ronaldo's lesson last week, but. Our minds are not trained to know everything, a lot about everything. Uh, we can just be an inch deep on a lot of different subjects, but we cannot really know in depth a lot of things. Uh, we are just, we're not that high functioning of individuals. Uh, the scripture says, not many wise, not many noble, not many smart. You got Eric. Okay, we need to think through these things on a very basic level and help us comprehend them on a more and more deeper level. Um, and so if you want to be good at one thing, be good at God's Word, understanding it, knowing it, and growing in wisdom and how to apply it uh, in your day-to-day. Sherry, and uh, Sherry, yeah, and then Jeremiah, yeah. Yeah, do be careful of your resources when you, when you're picking a commentary or a video to watch. Do be careful uh, when you're broadening those. And Jeremiah. Great point, Jeremiah, and I think it was mentioned uh, last week to think transcendent thoughts, to think higher thoughts, not just to have the order of the verse in play, which is important. We need to have the right order, but to understand what is the bigger thought, right? To think, you know, it's not just the order. Okay, again, I got my wanna jewel or sticker, right? I get another thing on my vest. I got it done. No, it's do I understand it? Uh, what is the bigger picture, the bigger thought uh, after putting these things together in the order that they're in? What is being pointed to? Good point, Jeremiah. 
All right, so many different things for us to do, but these are the initial tools you should have in your toolbox uh, when you are coming to God's Word, and you should be pulling these things out of the toolbox, going, okay, what are the uh, repeated words, what's uh, being repeated, what are the contrasts, what are the comparisons, is there a list, two or more items, is there a cause and effect, is there a figure of speech? Uh, What about the conjunctions? How are we tying together these sentences and phrases? Um, What are the verbs? What's the action that has been done or needs to be done? And uh, am I involved or am I the recipient or am I the actor? And, of course, pronouns. uh, Who are we talking about so that we can be sure? Does this apply to me or does this apply to Israel or, or does it apply to the church or the broader context? So keep these tools in your toolbox as you approach God's Word, and let us be serious students of God's Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today, for the blessing that it is to have a copy of your Word, to have so many different editions and translations and parallel texts and the original Greek or Hebrew set alongside. Lord, what a blessing it is that we have all these tools. Father, help us to remember, though, that it boils down to uh, what we have been clearly commanded to do, and that is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Father, I pray that as we open your word each day, that we would become more and more serious students of your word, not just in the reading of it, but in the understanding of it, and not just in the memorization, but in the collection of the higher thoughts of, well, how does this tie to that, and the bigger picture of the truth of what your word has for us, Lord, that we would understand what it means, not just what caught our attention today. Lord, help us to understand your word. Lord, knowing that someday your word, as far as the written text, could be taken from us, help us to set it steadfast and firm in our minds that we might be good students of it today For when you call upon us uh, to stand firm on your word in the world in which we live. We ask your blessing upon the rest of this morning with Dylan as he brings us your word. The opener, Father, that all that is done from singing to fellowship to the study of your word to even the remembering of it as we walk out these doors today. May we be changed, men and women, for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.